How many of you need the Lord this morning? Let's seek him right now. Father in heaven, we are weak earthen vessels created by you. Father, we need you. You have breathed life into us. You have brought us to awakenness this morning. Thank you, Father, for the rest that we enjoy as we sleep. Thank you, Jesus, for the rest, rest that we enjoy in you as we fellowship together in this Sabbath. This is the day that you have made. We have gathered in this place to rejoice in this day and you being the man of this day, Father. We praise you for who you are. Grace us with your presence, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the one who gives us strength and who sees us through the end. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit of the living God. Thank you, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's always, it's always good when you plan uh, something to uh, think it out well in advance, and, and uh, sometimes those plans work out in their entirety, and sometimes they don't. And if you look at your schedule on the back of your little name tag, it's, it's a little different because I had a couple people that had some issues and came up at the last moment, and we made some adjustments. And so I'm about to introduce to you Brad Colley. Um, <laughs> obviously, Brad is not, um, let me see here, you know who that's supposed to be. He's not Freddie, <laughs> but he's Brad Colley. Now, Brad is our church planting director and our church growth director, and he's doing a wonderful job. How many of you believe in planting churches? Let me see your hands. Come on now, everybody's hand ought to go up. But in conjunction with church planting, there's something else that has to happen. The, the sad reality is that statistics tell us that, that 90% of the churches in North America are either plateaued or declining. I'm going to say that's bad news. What about you? So there must be something that we must do in order to allow God to use us to have those churches that are plateaued and declining be, to become turnaround churches. Brad has written a book on revitalizing our churches. And so I asked Brad this morning if he would not come and share this hour with us about how we can be those instruments that God will use to turn those churches around. Yes, we could plant new churches in those communities, but what about the community that the church already exists in? Do we not have a responsibility to those people as well? And so, Brad, please, come share with these people for the next hour or so what's on your heart about church revitalization. And I want to say thank you so much. It's good to be with you this morning. Happy Sabbath. Can we all do me a favor and standing up and stretching? It's going to be another hour before we have another stretch. Just take a break and stretch out those arms. It's okay if you want to touch the neighbor right next to you. All right, okay. All right, you can go ahead and take your seats. I would like to try something new today. Something new for me, that is. Some of you who have been here all week will get what I'm doing right now. So, Pastor Boonstra, I think he, he may not, he may have he been in and out, but anyway, this is for you, Pastor Boonstra, right here. Amen. All right, starting a new trend here. 
Okay, we can go ahead and get the pr presentation up. Before we start, I would like to invite my son, Bradford Cauley Jr., to have another prayer. Watch out for the shoes. Okay. Dear God, we praise your name. Thank you for this Sabbath day. Please help your Holy Spirit to fill this place. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so as you mentioned, there's a book, and this evening you could probably take a look at that book at the Advent Store stand. It's called Steps to a Vibrant Church, a Turnaround Guide for Churches in a Plateau or Decline. Most of my ministry, I have pastored established churches in which I had already experienced at least a plateau, and I have a heart to see God revitalize these churches. Not just the ones I pastored, but all across North America. As Pastor Glenn Altermatt just shared, most of the churches are plateaued or declining. In fact, he gave the number 90%. Uh, I've heard numbers from 75% um, to 90%. But in any case, when the, the majority of our churches need to rebound, turn around. So how can that happen? The Carolina Conference started looking at some statistics, looking at the statistics of the churches in the entire conference that have had less than an annual growth of 1%. Now, when we talk about growth, I'm talking about kingdom growth, baptisms, professions of faith, things like this. That includes our own family members being baptized and joining by profession of faith. So what we found were, was that there were about 10 churches that had less than a 1% annual growth, taking their membership and spread over a five-year period. At the end of five years, if they had less than 1% growth, we said, okay, we have to do something with these churches. We have to do something to help them. So we developed a process, and that process was pretty simple and straightforward. However, though there were some churches that began to turn around and see some positive growth, there were some other churches that did not have what it took to turn around. So I said, I said to, my, um, to myself, I said, we have to do something more. We can't just have a simple process, even though it works for some churches. We have to have something a little bit more. So that's the reason why I wrote this book. Because we have a book for church planting, step-by-step -step process for church planting. Those of you who have looked at Tom Evans' book, Steps to Church Planting, you know it's very easy if you just follow the guide. So I thought, we need something for the majority of our churches, our congregations, that can help us to also turn around. Okay, so first off, the church needs to come on board and say, yes, we realize the urgency, we realize our need to turn around, and so the whole church needs to be on board with going through such a process. So they need to vote that in church business session or business meeting. And then they should select between five and eight people that will be the guiding coalition to turn the church around. Now, you don't want more than that because you'll have too many people talking and they'll never get through the material. But five to eight people is enough. What type of people are you looking for? They're committed to see the church turn around and pray for God's intervention. That committed word is the, the key word there. They're spirit-led, spiritually mature, and spiritually minded. Amen? Amen? And they can see how the current choices affect the long-term reality. They can see the big picture. And this one may be very important. 
and maybe something that we need to guard against and not putting people who are controlling or divisive on that team. There needs to be team players who comprise this team. They work well with others and they're not going to try to have it their way, uh, his way or her way, instead of what's best for the church. They need to be balanced, not having a personal separate agenda as well. Okay, so this team can either meet weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly, depending upon how bad the state of the church is. Now, if the church is humming along fine, let's say you have 80 in attendance and there's not a great deal of urgency to turn around, perhaps monthly is okay. But if you have 30 members and you've been at 30 people average attendance for years, or maybe even less, or 40 or 50, and you've even seen a slight decline, and you haven't seen any, you don't have perhaps any um, Sabbath school classes for the children, the younger children, then that's a serious wake-up call. It should be, that you, something needs to be done. So I would recommend weekly or bi-weekly for those churches. Okay, the church meets regularly, and then after they get through each step, there are eight total steps, after each step, they bring recommendations back to the church board for the church board to make a decision, up or down, vote on. Okay? And I recommend that the pastor chair these, these meetings, the core group or the um, turnaround team meetings. And the team selects no more than three recommendations. How many recommendations? Three. Because you don't want to get to doing too much and then you're not able to do it well. So no more than three recommendations. And each recommendation, the turnaround team should make a recommend, recommendation on who should be the person coordinating that particular change, overseeing it. Because follow-through is essential here. Okay? All right. When should you do this process? Not during a pastoral transition. Okay? For obvious reasons. Russell Burrow has in his book, Waking the Dead, good times to introduce chains are when the church is experiencing revival. But if you were experiencing revival, then you probably wouldn't be needing to do this process necessarily, right? When you have a new pastor come in, it's an excellent time. Or if there's a church crisis, such as a fire or um, a moral fall, something like that. Excellent times to do this. However, as long as you have a high degree of urgency, you're okay to move forward. That's the, the key. The church must sense the great need to enter into this process. The full process generally takes 9 to 12 months. If, you, if the core team meets once a month, then it's going to take the 12 months full. Okay? All right, step number one is a commitment to prayer. Notice I didn't say just have the typical praying. There's a difference. There needs to be a greater commitment to prayer. Dr. Kidder says, prayer is a non-negotiable first step to church renewal and growth. Now, he became an expert, an expert in church decline. He says, I went up all the way through the ranks of doctoral program, and I became an expert in church decline. I've instituted everything that I know. But then his wife, as he shares in his book, The Big Four, says, why don't you spend time in praying? And so he mentioned how he goes through it. The congregation, he kneels down where everybody sits in the congregation and began to pray. Once he did that, he noticed the church turned around. So the non-negotiable first step is not methodology. It's prayer. Because God is the one that brings new life into the dead. Amen? And some of our churches, let's just be honest, are dead. 
but they don't have to stay dead. Now, it is easier to birth a new baby than raise the dead. However, <laughs> if your church still has a pulse, it's not dead yet. Amen? You still have some time left. All right? And so there's a window of opportunity. Okay, Max Lucado says, when we work, we work. When we pray, what? God works. Which would you rather see take place? Ellen White says this in Testimonies, Volume 4, 538-539. In this matter, genius, logic, and eloquence will not avail. Those who have a humble, trusting, contrite heart, God accepts and hears their prayers. Here's their prayer. And when God helps, most of the obstacles will be overcome. All obstacles. I want, I'm here to tell you today, I'll be happy if it was most. But that's not what she says. She says all. Now, I may, some of you may be happy with 25% of the prayers. But that's not what it says. It says all obstacles will be overcome. Now, this works in our personal journeys with the Lord. And this works for the journey of the body of Christ in individual congregations. If we come to the Lord in those conditions, with those conditions in mind, he's going to knock those obstacles down left and right because we're busy about his work and his, his plan, his mission. Listen to what she says here in Testimonies, Volume 5, 236. Union is strength. Division is what? When those who believe present truth are united, they exert a telling influence. Satan well understands this. Never was he more determined than now to make of none effect the truth of God by causing bitterness and dissension among the Lord's people. So the turnaround process is a spiritual one. It is not something to engage in lightly. It is not something to just, with passe, just go on with it and think that, okay, if we do A, B, and C, then we will have such and such results. No, no. Is a spiritual process. So the, the members of the core team need to be spiritual people committed to see the church turn around. Now, what if you're saying, hey, wait a minute, we have 25 people coming to my established church, and I'm not sure if we can find five to eight people who fit the qualifications you just named. Do the best you can. Do the best you can. And pray that the Lord will lead you in choosing the right people, okay? All right, step number two, create spirit-filled momentum. So my question is, could God bless your church, I'm talking about churches in decline or in a plateau, with 50 or 100 new people within this year? Now, here's a different question. Is your church ready for God to bless it with 50 or 100 new people? What is the difference in the answers of those two questions? Now, if you want God to bless you, everybody wants that, right? Okay. But not everybody or not every church is ready. So what must a church do in order to get ready? Well, what the NAD found was this. Of the factors that our research study identified as contributing to church growth, including effective leadership, enthusiastic involvement of the members, utilizing the power of prayer, and inspiring and dynamic worship, Dr. Kidder says, None was more important than what? Faith-based optimism. Now, you can simplify that and just say faith. For those churches that expected God to do great things in their churches, guess what? He did. 
For those churches that did not expect God to do great things, he did not. I appreciate the idea of uh, Dr. Alan Parker. He was sharing in his discipleship seminar yesterday that some of our churches wish that God would bless us with a million dollars. But the challenge is we don't have a million dollar plan. I appreciate Dr. Parker sharing that. Perhaps you need to look to God on what could happen in your church. Don't look to man. Don't look at the past. Don't listen to the naysayers within the congregation and say, well, we're not going to try evangelism because it doesn't work here. Give me a break, as if God doesn't know how to do his work. He just wants some people that are willing to cooperate with him. All right, faith-based optimism. If you believe God's going to do special work, now, we're not just talking about, okay, sitting in the pew, being a couch potato or a pew potato, and saying, okay, Lord, I have faith that you're going to do something miraculous here. Now, that, that's, that's good, but you need to be working with him. Faith in action, because if you're not having an active faith, obviously that is not faith at all. Okay, so creating spirit-filled momentum. One of the things that you can do is have special Sabbaths. While every Sabbath is special, these Sabbaths, you're doing something a little bit extra. And I say special also because it's special for the community. You're not doing it just for yourselves. You're doing it to reach out to the community, giving members an opportunity to invite their friends and family members from the community, acquaintances, co-workers, to come for those days. And you know, and they know, that when they come for those days, those special Sabbaths, the people from the community are going to feel safe. They're going to feel uh, very blessed to be there that, those days. Okay, here's some examples I'm putting on the screen. Now, these are just a few examples, but you want to choose what your congregation has a passion for and has the ability to do well. Okay? As an example, some churches within this conference I've heard of doing homecoming Sabbaths. So, do they just say, okay, we're going to have a homecoming Sabbath, let's put an announcement in the bulletin, that's it? No, no. What do they do? For homecoming Sabbath, they let everybody and their brother know about the homecoming Sabbath. And they get the facility ready for a special celebration, and they have a special, special lunch, they have special speakers, special previous pastors, um, musical guests. They go all out. That's what a special Sabbath is like. Some of us have a passion for health, as I do. You can have a health emphasis day where you invite a doctor or someone with credentials to come in uh, with a spiritual mindset, share a message. And then you can even have afternoon seminars as well. And invite the community to come in. Make sure that they know about what's taking place in your church because it's for them. And so what is it going to do for your church? Let's just say you're used to having 40 people come. What is it going to do for your church when you have these special Sabbaths once a quarter, and instead of 40, you have 80 people there? Perhaps even more. In one church um, in Texas, in Nacogdoches, Texas, we, we chose one of these lists. And, and what we noticed was this church was averaging 35 in attendance. And on that special Sabbath, there was 141 people there. No doubt a record for Sabbath morning. And most of the people there were not members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's what I believe God is looking for in our churches. Not that we can have churches just as houses of prayer as that we all need to have them to be, but also there be houses for the community to come in and to celebrate what God is doing in their lives as well and bring them in. Like the song, bring them in, bring them in, right? 
So that is the, that's the goal here. And so as you see people coming into the church, you begin to make friendships and develop more friendships and go further in your, in your relationship with these people. And then the church also gets happy. And they say, okay, may, maybe God can grow this church back again. Maybe God can. So it helps others' faith as well. Okay. Also a great idea is to invite a church growth consultant to your church. You have some local conference experts. You have Pastor Glenn Altermatt. You have myself as the church planting, church growth. And also you have Dr. Kidder, Tom Evans, and Ed Smith, other people you know of as well, Russell Burrow. And there are many people that can come and talk about how your church can turn around. And that will give your church a boost. Have them come and share a whole weekend. Step number three. Okay, again, we have a total of eight. Step number three, commit to becoming a healthier church. Again, you see that word a lot, commit. Commit to becoming a healthier church. So I recommend, in this case, going through the natural development, natural church development process, which basically you have 30 surveys sent to you, and the church has the active members or active participants in the church life fill these surveys out, and then they send them all in one envelope back to Andrews University. They score them, email the results, and then you have a natural church development coach help process the results with the congregation and helps them zero in on what areas are holding the church back, okay? After they figure out what the areas are and what the reasons are during that coaching session, then the core team takes that information and says, okay, here are our recommendations on how we can improve in those specific areas, okay? Then the church board uh, takes those recommendations and says, okay, yes, let's move forward, implement those with... Um, uh, coordinators for each one. It can be illustrated with this barrel of water here. You notice that the barrel of water is at a certain level that it is settled down at. That represents our churches. Every church, regardless of how healthy or unhealthy it is, has water levels settling down at a certain spot. Okay? So the water level represents our average worship service attendance. Okay? So let's just say it's, for sake of argument, 40. Let's say for your church, it's 40, all right? And you have different heights for the different staves in the front. At what point will the water settle down at, even if you pour 1 million gallons of water in? Where's it going to settle? At the minimum factor or the lowest stave, right? Okay? So take a look at that. Have you ever heard someone say, I know what we need to do in this church to help it turn around, dot, dot, dot? Our only problem is dot, dot, dot. If we did more of dot, 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 then we would be okay. Then our church will see growth. I've heard that in many churches, even some that I've privileged to pastor. And I've heard some say, well, if we knock on more doors, we'll see more growth. And it just so happens for that particular church, it was already very evangelistically minded, and it was already very healthy with, with evangelism, the evangelism area. So what would happen if, say, okay, all right, everybody, let's go knock on more doors. And say, okay, let's organize, uh, put everybody in the teams, and let's, let's do this. What would happen is that would increase one of your high staves even higher, and if you don't touch the one that is the, the, the weakest area, then that's going to create more frustration in your church, okay? So the better way to do it is work with what is the, the weakest area, which is holding the church back. If you improve that, then the church will see more attendance as well. It's a focus on excellence. It's a focus on quality. Do we serve a God of excellence? And everything he does is with excellence. 
So as his children, he's asking us to make sure that our congregation are very healthy, that we bring excellence back to him. Now, some of you have already thought, okay, wait a minute. You mentioned 30 surveys. We don't have 30 active people in our church. That's okay. If you have 15 active people and at least 13 fill the survey out, you're going to get an accurate diagnosis of what's happening there. It's okay, right? Okay, here are the eight vital areas that are measured in the church health. You see on the right-hand column, ministry areas. On the left-hand column, may be hard to read, but that is the adjective that in a very healthy way describes that area, at least what's, what you're looking for. Okay, for instance, every church has leadership, but not every church has leadership that is empowering. Empowering leadership, what does that look like? Well, that's people that train people, equip people, and help them to lead out as well, and not someone who hoards the leadership, actually hoarding leadership and not allowing people to grow in their spiritual gifts as well. Now, obviously, you don't want people leading out who are not ready to lead out as far as uh, their morality, things like that. But if, if everything is okay there, then you want to train people, train these people how to do more, take up more leadership. Leadership does not just mean stand up in front of people. Leadership could be in the back at the AV booth and they being the coordinator for that team, okay? That's leadership. leadership. Leadership is in every area of our church, okay? Whether it is social ministry, whether it is men's ministry, no matter what it is, Every area has leadership, but what kind of leadership do you have as a church? Is it empowering or not? And you can go down the list here, same way. Okay, you must trust the process. You must improve the areas that are the weakest, because if you, as I said earlier, if you improve the areas that are already strong or stronger, then you're going to have a higher degree of frustration. So now what I'm about to do, I'm going to share some tips that are in the book, a few of them that are in the book, that are not designed to replace going through the process, but just to give you some ideas, okay? Because, again, I caution you, you can't just take the ideas and improve on those when that may not be what you need to really focus on, okay? All right, so deflating leadership, that's the opposite of empowering leadership. Many churches are being held hostage by a divisive or controlling leader. Now, many of you were not ready for a discussion like this this early Sabbath morning, but... There's a reason why many churches stay small. And many times, this is the reason right here. Unfortunately, there are some people, matriarchs, patriarchs, that are holding their churches hostage. And most often, I have seen, most often, now you may disagree with me and we can disagree, it's not the pastor. Because in smaller churches, it's more the matriarch, patriarch. In bigger churches, it's a different dynamic. It could be the pastor, no, okay? But... In the smaller churches, you have one key person, perhaps two, that are the key influencers and the drivers of that church, whether for good or whether for bad. Okay? So how can this be addressed in a helpful manner? Well, let me just stop right here for a second and tell you, ignoring is not addressing it. Okay? In fact, if you ignore it, you're, you're, you're very happy, or you've made Satan and his... Uh, Comrades, very happy that you're ignoring it. Now, it is very easy to ignore it, and that's what we prefer because we don't like conflict. Who likes conflict? It, can it, the person who likes and loves conflict please stand up? Oh, no, you, sit, you sit down. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. No, nobody loves conflict. 
But Jesus did not say, ignore conflict, ignore divisive people. What did he say? He said, there's certain things that we need to, to remember, keep in mind. Okay? All right. So let's, what are the things? So here's some general recommendations to address a controlling or divisive leader that could be holding the church hostage. Now, it, I must mention to you, in the book, I have a little secret exercise that the core team can go through privately to determine if that is the cause, a major cause in the church not growing, okay? But beyond that, here are some general recommendations. Okay, John Maxwell says in his book, 21 Interfutable Laws of Leadership, if you want someone on your side, don't try to convince him, what? Connect with him. Okay? If at all possible, follow this recommendation. In my personal experience, I know that we're being live streamed here, so I'm not going to share any names or specific towns and places. In my experience, personally, the persons that I've noticed that are most controlling and divisive are those I have a very difficult time in connecting with. Okay? So what do you do? Next. Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.1, what does he say? A humble, spiritual person should be chosen to restore the erring in a spirit of gentleness. But here's the challenge. Most of those divisive, controlling people, they're not people who don't contribute or have not contributed to the church's, uh, the church's overall um, structure or haven't given to the church. These are people, quite the contrary, that have given and have blessed the church in many different ways. That's what makes it so difficult. Because they give, that, that gives them influence and, and, and power, control within the body. People look to that person, him or her, and, and pretty much follow whatever he or she says. Now, how many of you currently serve on a church board or have served on a church board? All right. Have you ever seen... Or have you ever been a part of a church board that when one person speaks, everybody else falls into line? Raise your hand. All right? That's not healthy. That's not healthy. All right? Now, perhaps if Jesus was on your church board, that would be okay. But he hasn't quite come back yet. And so we need to be working together as a team and making sure that we all allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. So, I have. Let me ask another show of hands. How many of you have seen in a church board situation that someone uses their volume to control the decisions that are being made? In other words, they increase their volume. Let me see the show of hands. Okay. Also, many hands go up for that. Okay. Again, the controlling people are not the people that haven't given to the church many times. Again, Galatians 6.1, if you're going to meet with this person, it has to be done in a very humble and spiritual way and not in a very confrontational way, but with one with gentleness, okay? And Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that we need to begin at the lowest level possible. Why? Because we are to treat others as we would want them to treat us, right? So if we are... In the fault, as we all have faults, amen? We're all growing. We would want somebody to come to us privately first. Not to air out dirty laundry in front of everybody, the whole world to see, or church board or Sabbath morning. We don't do that. And may I also take this opportunity to say, we shouldn't put other Seventh-day Adventist churches down 
from the front either. Okay? It will be much better to pray for the other churches from up front instead of talking gossip about the other churches. But we need to start the lowest level possible, and then, if it doesn't work, then we move forward, okay? We start with one-on-one, all right, and then perhaps two or three. And then if it doesn't work there, then we move on to perhaps the church leadership team. Okay, consult a local conference representative to come alongside in conciliation, which is a high recommended process called Peacemakers Ministry. How many of you are familiar with Peacemakers? Okay, see about um, maybe 6% of you. All right, so this is the process that helps churches that have conflict to come together in a biblical way. Okay, in short, you can check out the website there, peacemaker.net. All right, now, do not miss this. Do not attempt to get the conference leaders to come in and fix the church's problem. Okay? The local church has decision body, is, is a decisive body to take care of its own problems. Just like the conference cannot decide to transfer members to and fro and close churches willy-nilly, those things are local decisions. Okay? The same in this case. If you have a divisive problem, yes, have a conference leader come alongside, but not come in and fix the problem, okay? Listen to Ellen White's counsel. God has not given his ministers the work of setting the churches right. No sooner is this work done, apparently, than it has to be done over again. Church members that are thus looked after and labored for become religious what? Weaklings. If nine-tenths of the effort have been, have been put forth for those who know the truth, have been put forth for those who have never heard the truth, how much greater would have been the advancement made? God has withheld his blessings because his people have not worked in harmony with his directions. There's a lot here. Okay, now notice it said God's ministers. That includes the ministers at the conference level, but even on the local church level. Don't let the pastor fix all the problems of the church. Because guess what? Eventually, the church is going to have another pastor. And they say, oh, well, the previous pastor had this way of doing things. And, and now, what, what is the way you're going to tell us to lead now or move forward on? What should we do with this person? No, no. That's the local church's decision. The local church needs to make the decisions that it needs to make. Now, the pastor is there to help with the process. Don't get me wrong. Now, let me also... Take, a, take a, uh, an opportunity to, to uh, make a pitch for lay-led churches, including lay-led church plants. Notice here she talks about that the ministers don't need to be there to be fixing all the problems of the church and should not be looked to for that. But notice what she said in the last sentence when that has actually been happening. She says, God has withheld his blessings because his people have not worked in harmony with his directions. What directions is she referring to? What directions? Obviously, biblical directions, right? Okay, in the Bible, what does it say the role of a pastor is? Is it to preach all the sermons, chair all the boards, do all the Bible studies, do all the visitations, and go down the line? Is that the role of what the Bible says the pastor is to do? No. Actually, it's more closely aligned with what the local elders are supposed to do as an elder team, okay? But the pastors are to be functioning as equippers, trainers, and evangelists. Okay? Biblically speaking, equippers, trainers, evangelists. Okay? So when we're not working in harmony with the biblical instructions that God has already given to this church, 
Is God going to bless the church or is he going to withhold? According to what I'm reading, perhaps you, can, uh, you read differently, but what I'm reading is he's withholding his blessings from those that are not working in accordance with his instructions. Okay? But it's amazing. The, the more we work with God's instructions, even though it seems counterintuitive to our own thinking, maybe even countercultural, that is what God will bless because we, we believe it and we move forward in faith. Um, let me just say that most or many Seventh-day Adventists, unless you were born with parents that were Seventh-day Adventist Christians, came from other denominations or, or used to the thinking of having a pastor over a church and just one pastor per church and thinking, okay, you only have a pastor here that you see him two Sabbaths a month? One time a month? Really? And, that they, and so our churches have a, a certain feeling that, wait a minute, that's not as good as what the Baptists and the Episcopalians and the Catholics do because they have a priest or they have a pastor. But that is not the design that God has given to his church that will lead, lead the way for the truth before people come back, before he comes back to receive them. So let us follow his instruction. Okay, and number five, last one, general instruction. Working with someone who is divisive or controlling, holding the church hostage. Hold the person accountable. Hold the person accountable. Warn a divisive person once, Paul says to Titus, and then warn them a second time. So again, the lowest level possible first, and then you take a few more, and then after that, what? Have nothing to do with them. So three strikes, you're out. All right? Now, some of us would like to um, embarrass them, but that's not God's way of working. God wants us, again, to have a spirit of humility, but have order with his church, not ignoring it, but having a certain way we deal with things, okay? Three times is enough, okay? All right. Now, here are some other general recommendations. Inspiring worship service. There's a principle that we have a horizontal flow that's us relating with each other for the worship service, Sabbath mornings or other days. And also, we have the vertical flow, us relating to God. Now, there are many churches that I've been to within the Carolina Conference, including groups and companies as well. And I want to tell you, about 40% of them have something like this. Okay? You tell me what's wrong with this, with this order. And then I'll give some explanation if those of you... If those of you pastors, I don't want you uh, saying anything at this point. Introit, doxology, invocation, welcome and announcements. What's wrong with this order? Again... There's a principle you have a horizontal flow. In other words, we do things when we're talking to each other. And then there's also when we relate to God. We should not break the flow of us relating to God. Okay? Because we, we don't need, we have enough interruptions in living in 2017 that we don't need the flow broken in our worship services. Okay? So what's wrong with this order? Okay? So what should be at the top? Welcome and announcements, okay? Again, 40% of our congregations have something similar to this. But we need to put the welcome and announcements first, and then we begin the service, okay? That means some things may be done a little bit differently, but it's, it's no big deal. It can be done very easily, and we get used to that as well, okay? Welcome and announcements first, because we don't want to be um, singing to God, inviting His presence, and then say, hey, happy Sabbath, everybody. We're so glad you're here today. No, no, you do that first, I know, well, what about the people who came in late? That's okay, all right? The reason they come late is because you don't start 
until later on in your service, okay? And I should also say, we need to keep our announcements very brief, okay? Everybody likes to give them a plug for their department, that's okay. But if, if they are, are going to kill you, and you're the speaker for that day, just give them the message, you can give a very important announcement just before you preach, if it's that important, okay? If it's about the vision of the church, then or like evangelism meetings or something coming very soon, you can share that uh, just before you share your sermon, okay? But announcements should be very brief. People come to church late because they don't want to come to hear 10 minutes worth of announcements, okay? All right, inspiring worship service. Okay, for the natural church development process, there's research. For Seventh-day Adventist churches that went through this process, they were asked one question that put them into two different camps. You see the two different camps on the screen. The first camp um, was not able to answer the question, and the other one was able to answer the question. Here's the one question that was asked. Name at least one thing you did to improve the weakest area or the minimum factor in your survey results. If they said, well, we can't remember us doing anything, then they were put into the status quo group. If they can name just one thing they did to try, to try to help improve their weakest area, they were put into the group called NCD, as Rodney Mills called it. Okay? And you see, for those that did nothing, they didn't have any follow-through, they said, okay, that's good information to know. Then those churches actually had a slight decline in tithe, giving, and membership. But for those churches that actually followed through, you see what happened here. They went up in each category, tithe, local, giving, and also membership. Okay? Step number four. While prayer is the number one step, prayer is the number one step, not any method, the whole reason for the church's existence is what? Evangelism. It wasn't that Jesus' whole purpose of coming down to seek and save that which was lost? and die for them, lay down his life for the sheep. Okay, that is the reason why we should work, what we should be doing, focusing on. While we're praying in everything we do, not just to start off this process, but in everything we do, we, we submit it to the Lord, and we ask for his guidance. And we make it the number one focus. I, I want to be honest with you. There's some simple things we can do to help grow God's work. There's some very simple things, okay? Sabbath morning. God brings us guests quite regularly in our churches. And just asking them one simple question. You know, I'll be honest with you. My first district, because of the situation within the church, and I was the very new pastor, and there were some older, very respected people in the community, I don't think they wanted, wanted me to behave a certain way. But my next district, I said, uh, I'm doing it differently. And so every Sabbath... Every time I saw a first-time guest in the church, I asked them one question after I uh, introduced myself and welcomed them to church, as we all should do, by the way, every guest. Then I asked, hey, would you be interested in studying the Bible together? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's the last thing you should ask somebody the first time that, that they come to church because they need anonymity and all these things. Now, that is true to a point, but let me be honest with you, okay? How difficult would it be for you to go visit a Catholic church? If you go, to, go through the doors of the Catholic Church, how, how much do you have to overcome in order to get to that point, in order to sit in their pew? Without God having to lead you, you better be doing that, okay? So these people are coming in to our churches to visit. It's because God brought them there. And if you do not seize that opportunity, you just missed it. You should take every opportunity as a gift from God. 
and ask them in a very nice way. A very, they can say no, and that's fine, and you're fine with that. But at least you gave the invitation. But you know what I have found? Most people say yes. And they do start Bible studies with those that are, they're not like trying to, uh, you know, accost them when they come to church. But in a nice, gentle way, you say, hey, I'm, I'm Brad, and I'd like to welcome you to church. Uh, what is your name? Mark? Okay. We're so happy to have you, Mark. Uh, by the way, uh, how'd you find out about the church? Well, da, 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 okay. Hey, I love giving Bible studies. Would you like to have Bible studies maybe sometime during the week or a weekend? Uh, what would be a good time for you? Very easy, very smooth, just like that, okay? Now, you don't want to go up to somebody and say, hey, you want some Bible study? You know, obviously that doesn't work, right? Uh, okay, Jesus says be harmless as doves, right? Okay, so first things first. I say first things first. We need to reach out to our missing members. Before, not before, but kind of simultaneously, but we need to be doing this as part of our evangelism strategy. Reach out to the missing members, Okay. Send him a letter. Elder Gary Moyer, he crafted a nice letter he sent to the pastors um, I mean, a few years ago. And you can change the letter to fit your church's needs. Send them a letter and then follow up with a personal visit. Okay? Um, you want to do everything you can to reach out to them. Don't say, all right, would you like to drop your name from the church rolls? No, don't send a letter like that. All right? Send a letter and say, hey, you missed them. And if there's anything we've done in the past, please forgive us. But we want to listen and learn. And we, we so much want you back. Okay? And do what you can. Follow up with a visit. Okay, here's some new information. It's not actually in my book because I just finished reading this particular book, Rise of the Nuns. It's not written by Seventh day Adventists, but I think it's some helpful information that we can gather from it. The, from the 1950s to the 1980s, there was a certain way that an unchurched person can be reached. First, you had an evangelistic campaign in which someone was introduced to Christ, such as in our context, um, we have like Mark Finley, Joe Cruz, someone like that. And then, um, and in the evangelical context, it was more Billy Graham, that type. Okay, you introduce someone to Christ first, and then they accept Christ, then they're willing to become part of a community, in other words, your church. And then as a church community, the church gets involved in certain causes within the community, such as health outreach or helping the poor, things like that. Okay, so that, that was the way that it worked from the 1950s to the 1980s. This is generally speaking, generally speaking. 1990s to 2009, you had an unchurched person, before they were willing to believe in something new or make a commitment, they had to belong, okay? So you can invite them to socials and, and Super Bowl watch parties, and uh, I recommend turning the halftime TV show off, um, doing something else, maybe eat during that time. Hey, hey, it's, it's time to eat, y'all, or whatever, but... Um, and then after they're part of a community, then they're more receptive. They can trust you now to receive new doctrine and make a commitment. And then as a community of faith, then you're active in certain causes. Now, it's, it's different according to the author today. From 2010 onward, you have the nuns, which is the same thing as unchurched. But these people, they're really unchurched. These are not the priesters. They go to church on Christmas and Easter. These are the people, they don't go to church at all, okay, except if you die, all right? So the nuns, they're looking for meaning and significance. They're not looking first for truth. In fact, they're not looking for proof that, there's, that they can have scientific proof that God exists. They're looking for how can that impact them? What meaning can it have for them? Now, obviously, all of us are like that, but this is the way to, to, be, um, um, to reach out to them. Okay? 
So if you're involved in, in some sort of cause, like you're helping the poor, or you're, you're doing reversing diabetes classes for the community, or you're doing something else, stopping human trafficking, or trying to, to help with, with what's happening in the community, then they know you're not just fakers, Christian fakers. The people that go to church, they don't do anything for the community, and they think everybody else around them is going to hell. Okay? That's, that's their viewpoint of what Christians are like. That they just want to judge other people and they want your money. That's their viewpoint. Okay? But according to what, what is happening today, generally speaking, they're looking for something to get involved in that will bring meaning and, and significance to their lives. And if your church is involved in something like that, that gives you the opportunity to be heard by these people. That, hey, these are not fakers. These people are the real deal. Okay? And then, then they can belong, become part of a fellowship, social, take part in different things. I, I love it. Uh, so maybe some of you are watching online from Huntersville Lighthouse Company. And I love going and play football with those guys. And um, uh, it seems that most of the guys are not part of the church. At least more than half are, are not. And then the other half are part of Lighthouse. And I like to go play football with them. And that's a good way to create community there as an entering wedge to earn respect and develop relationships there. And then after they, they're involved in community, at that point they're ready to receive new doctrine and make commitment. But before then, they're on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 is high receptivity, 1 is low receptivity. There may be like a 2 or 3 or 4. And so as you're going through this progression, they're increasing their, their level of receptivity to receive um, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Okay? Okay, Bible study training. All right. The graph I have here is a chart that works for everything, not just training people how to give Bible studies. But first, the first um, column there, you have someone who is experienced leading out and giving Bible studies, and someone who's willing to learn comes alongside that person and then watches and prays. And the next two, the second column there, or the second part, where you have the person that is learning start to assist. Start to pray, give some of the prayers, start to read some of the questions, read some of the Bible text, things like that. And then three, the person uh, flip-flops, the person learning is leading out, and the, the person with more experience is assisting, and then you get full circle on number four where they're totally flipped. Okay, This works for Bible study training, but why, why is that important? How many of us came into the, the faith without the Bible? All right? I haven't learned of anybody that haven't come in through the preaching of the Word or through the study of the Word or combination of both. So if we have very few people within our congregations that can give Bible studies or feel comfortable enough to give Bible studies, then our potential to grow is limited. So we want to expand that potential. We have more personality types, more schedule availability that can actually give Bible studies. Okay? All right, if you have zero Bible studies in the course of a year, how many baptisms do you also expect? Zero. On the other hand, if you have 15 Bible studies, then you should be expecting something around maybe 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 baptisms and professions of faith, okay, over the course of a year. All right, you can even use video Bible study series if you feel uncomfortable. If there's no one in that can train, then you can uh, just press play, all right? All right, play the Thunder in the Holy Land, and then at the end, just read some statements, and then they circle how they're reacting to that Bible study. Okay, now we've had a lot of training. We've had experts this whole weekend. We have top-notch things, but all this will go in vain if you don't do something with it, right? And the best training is training on the job, okay? 
Again, just like a Bible study I was, I was just mentioning, a person with experience takes one who, who's willing to learn. It works for everything, okay? Let me pause also for a moment and give a little tidbit. Everybody in the church that knows how to do something should train themselves, himself or herself, out of a job, out of a ministry, okay? For instance, uh, sometimes when I preach, I have my children to come and, and help me during the preaching time. Is it because I'm choosing to train myself out of preaching? No, but I'm training young people how to preach, okay? All right? The same works for Sabbath school classes. Most of the time in the adult classes, we have just one person standing in front of the people. Why not having somebody in the team teach, do different parts, and make it more interactive like that? Because if you do not train yourself out of a job, that means people are not growing in their spiritual giftedness, and the church will not move forward. Because if you have someone, let's say, for instance, uh, I'm not going to say the person's name, but the person is here. In the church I was in last Sabbath, you know who you are, I saw the leader of that congregation doing the AV work that Sabbath. All right? Now, they have somebody that helps with the AV most of the time, but that person wasn't there early enough or something like that. Okay? But that is not the role of the person leading the church. This is a church plant, and the lay leader needs to be looking at everything and not filling in the gaps like this. So they need to have leadership training for every area of the church. So, for instance, if I'm a leader of a church, I know how to do the AV, I show three people how to work the AV, and I put one person in charge as the coordinator, okay? And pray for them and, 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 and ask whatever questions they have after they, they've been trained, then let them go. And if there's, no, if there's no AV person there, the lay leader should not go there. The elder should not go there to fill in, all right? Let it go. Then the people will know that you're not going to jump in and fix things. Then they're going to step up and take it seriously, okay? So everybody needs to train yourself out of a job so that the ministries of the church can grow and blossom. The people can grow and blossom. And there'll be more ministries taking place because, hey, if somebody's doing the AV for me, I can go and start this new ministry that I've, I've been having a passion for for a long time. Okay? I want to do this ministry to, to reach out to the homeless. And now I have more time, uh, Sabbath afternoons, where we can get together and we can go feed some of the people in a certain neighborhood. Okay? Whatever the case. All right? This is, this is the way that the, the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy has for us to work. Train yourself out of a job so that more ministry can take place in the life of the church. Step number five, develop a two- to three-year church growth strategic plan. Okay, remember I was asking you earlier what, what you would need to do to get ready for 50 or 100 new people this year. All right, that is what you put together in your two- to three-year church growth plan. Your plans to grow, how are you going to receive them, get them, and also keep them engaged? Because you can't just say, okay, we're happy for them all to be here. Happy staff. No, 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 no. You've got to have a way to get them involved in the ministry of the church. You're not going to put them in leadership positions, but you're going to put them in something, all right? But what if they wear jewelry? Well, I'm not going to get into that, open that up. But um, for me, I'm thinking at least give them something to do. Hey, could you help me in the potluck, brother? Sister, can you help me in the potluck? Can you make sure all the tables are decorated uh, just so and and making sure we have the food set up correctly and correctly labeled if it's vegan or real cheese or whatever, okay? Things like that. Okay. All right. So that your plan should include an impact statement. I'll talk about that in a minute. Evangelistic strategy, a stewardship plan, and discipleship plan. I will come to the discipleship plan in step six. What's an impact statement? It identifies a specific change or impact your church plans to accomplish in a certain demographic or target group. It could be a uh, people of a certain area. 
and highlights in general how it will make this impact. Okay? All right, here's an example. The Matthews Seventh-day Adventist Church will be a growing, authentic, disciple-making, and compassionate fellowship that seeks to lead others to embrace Christ. This will be evident as we see, and I have three points here, youth and young adults in active leadership. I didn't hear an amen. amen. This is not a separate meeting for the, young, the youth, is it? Okay. All right. Quarterly community service projects that touch non-members with their felt needs. And thirdly, an active discipleship group ministry, which is like a small group structure for the church. All right, three ways. Now, obviously, you can put more, but this is just an example of what an impact statement would look like. Because I believe God wants us to make an impact in our communities. Amen? Amen. Okay. Your two- to three-year church growth strategic plan should uh, simply places these ministries and events, the ones that I just named, the three I just named, uh, these ministries and events in a timeline, such as having youth fully integrated in the life of the church. Um, as an example... You can say every single Sabbath, you have a young person that's doing something. Every single Sabbath, not like once a month or once a quarter, we have youth Sabbath. No, no, every Sabbath, there's at least one young person doing something in the life of a church. Because as we all know, the youth are the present of the church, not the future of the church. It's everybody's church. In fact, I recommend, unless your, your, um, your church board meetings are toxic, which may be the case, I recommend putting someone that is considered a young adult, not like a 15-year-old, but a young adult, maybe in their 20s, early 20s, on the church board. I recommend to do that. Amen. And you can ask that person from time to time, hey, what do you think about this, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so? Okay, planning for God's blessing. Is your church almost full? So there's an 80% principle. Once you reach 80%, then you're not getting beyond that barrel in, in American culture. Now, in some other cultures, you can go beyond the 80%. But in American culture, no matter what you look like, it's 80%. Okay, if you're, American, you're born in America, you have American culture. All right, and this applies for the worship seating and also the parking. So if your parking lot is already at 80%, then that's your problem, all right? Uh, that's the reason why we can't, you can't get beyond 40 people in attendance. Or if the worship seating, you're already at 80%, then that's your problem, okay? But what if you're at 50 or 60%? Then you need to have, as part of your plan, when, not if, when God blesses you with the 80%, what your plan is, what you're going to do about the seating or the parking, what the plan is. Because God doesn't bless those who play it safe. God blesses those who take risks, who jump in the Jordan River, all right? God doesn't bless those who play it safe. It's okay, when God bless, no, no, no. If, if he blesses, uh, he might. Okay, if he does, we'll think about it then. No, no, God is going to bless. You are going to be active. You do have faith that he's going to grow your work. Those are the Seventh-day Adventist churches that are growing. The other ones are not. But those Seventh-day Adventist churches in North America that are growing are those that believe that God is going to do something special in their church. And they're, they're not going to say, well, it might happen. No, no, you move forward. You move forward in faith. Because those who move forward in faith are going to actually be led by God to do what needs to be done. The three growth options, once you get to that point, you get a new facility, a bigger one, more space. You have two services and plant a church. For most churches, if you have, less, if you have 60 or less in attendance, you don't need to be thinking about going to planting a church, okay? You need to get to a certain size before you do that. 
unless you're planting a church among a different people group that speaks a different language, okay? Such as the, the Karen. You heard uh, Pastor Boonstra mention about the Karen. Uh, we have a lot of, we have a, a great Karen work in the Carolina Conference. Okay, and I'm thankful to Roger Hernandez who has a, a posting. He brings this out. Please fix your church's website. And three main questions need to be answered on your church's website. I heard one of the pre presenters say that if you're, not, <clears throat> if you're not out there on the internet or social media or things like that, then you don't exist. Now, he's not talking about obviously that we're, we're not there. He's just saying that people don't see you. Okay? So front and center without people having to go click places on your website, whether it's a Facebook website or whether it's an, another website, um, where are you located? What are your church service times and how may I contact you? Okay? All right, is your facility helping or hindering growth? We shouldn't allow our homes, as Haggai says, to be looking nice and the house of God to be in disrepair. Now, some of us, we have gone, gotten custom Sabbath after Sabbath or Wednesday after Wednesday or whenever you go visit the church facility. We have a habit of overlooking problems in the, on the facility's premises or in the doors inside. We have overlooked those things for too long. It's time to fix them. All right? It's time to fix them. And if you cannot see them, bring in a mystery guest who will point those areas out to you. Is it clean? It's got to be clean. Is it attractive? It needs to be attractive. We serve a God of excellence, and everything he does is with beauty. Is it in good condition? All right? Now, deacons are more than those who take up money Sabbath morning. Okay? In fact, what we have done, and as far as the American culture within the Seventh-day Adventist church, we have demoted everybody. Pastors are now elders, elders are now deacons, and deacons are now collecting the offering, okay? We need to bring it back up, bring the standard right back up, reverse it exactly the way the Bible has it, okay? These instructions are there for a reason. We need to train some deacons to be like Stephen, all right? We need to train some elders to be like these, these pastors that we have here. We, we, we have awesome lay people in this conference and beyond. God has called people out that have regular, I mean, awesome, powerful leadership skills, and they're wholly committed to the Lord. But we can't put them into more um, leadership positions. And Now, in some churches, we may need to have the pastor chairing the board, but what if the pastor didn't need to be at the board, and instead, that same time can be used in giving Bible studies? What's wrong with that? Are we so dependent upon the pastor to pass the minutes and, the, and, the, and the, to approve the financial summary? And to um, just sign off on some other plans that we have for the church, general business. Now, if it's evangelism plans, that's different. But when we're talking about general business, and we're not talking about for pastors to sit down and do nothing. But if the pastor says, if your pastor's a go-getter, very evangelistic, and says, okay, pastor, why don't you let us take care of this, and we're going to free you up so you can do mission work to grow God's kingdom. Now, some of you may, <gasps> what are we going to do without the pastor chairing the board meeting? Come on, give me a break. Okay. All right. Now, some of you may feel differently about this, and that's okay. But is your church filled with light? I believe we serve a God of light. And I'm getting a lot of light on me right now. I think it's a good thing. All right? Because to have the, the, the church filled with light, sometimes we have stained glass windows, and they're beautiful. That's fine. But I've seen some uh, windows that, are, that allow the light to come in more full force. And it's just awesome. And it's just awesome to see this, the, the, the structure, the house of God, 
It's filled with light. Now, obviously, we need light for practical reasons, reading our Bibles and whatever else, but it's just good to see the, the house of God filled with light. Okay, location of the facility. All right, is it easy to get to? Is it also easy to find? If it's not, then that's a problem. That's a problem. But we can't move on from here. We've always been here. Well, you know the definition of insanity, right? Okay. Also, is it in a decent area? Some of you are, are kind of hindered because you're in an area, but you've tried to get out and can't. Then go back and always stick to the first step, prayer. Everything rises and falls on leadership, right? Yes. But I want to say more than leadership, everything rises and falls on God through us praying to him. Step number six, transition to the discipleship model and the Great Commission. That's what it says, make disciples. And so discipleship is, is good when we do it one-on-one, but I like it in the group dynamic, the group context. So we're, do, we're doing pretty good at putting programs on as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but I believe God wants us to go back to the early church, the early Seventh-day Adventist church, and have this model back in place where the church has small groups meeting at different times. Hey, you can even have small groups meeting Saturday nights, okay? It's okay, or Sundays. But small groups are meeting. Why? There are six ways, or six reasons. It was, like I said, MO of the early church, Adventist church, which they did pretty good in church growth, right? And it was revealed to Ellen White very clearly. It promotes nurture. It enables more mission to take place because every small group needs to have a mission and outreach as well. And it prepares the church for state-sponsored persecution. This is going to hit the whole world stage one day. Now, it's happening in some countries like Somalia, North Korea, Iran, and places like that already, Syria, where we don't have one single Seventh-day Adventist church in those countries. However, it's going to happen the world over one day. And if we're used to having our own property and we having our um, employees, whether for teachers or, or, or pastors, and uh, conference headquarters, and then all that's taken away where we cannot have any more meetings, no more public sanctioned meetings, and we don't have the small group structure in place, what's going to happen to God's movement? It's going to come down uh, really fast. But if we have this in place, it's not going to slow down, it's going to speed up. So this is a preparation for the end of time as well. Okay, so members need a certain amount of friends to stay in church. Some of you, I've shared this before, so what would you say the number is? All right, I've heard the right numbers. All right, six to ten friends to stay in church. So you should not, you should not expect, like Pastor Boonster says, that brand new people off the street are those that you're going to be focusing on and you're going to be bringing them in so much. But it's the people that the church has engaged with prior to the big event and is going to be engaged with afterwards. They're the ones you're going to be keeping, okay? So if you, if you have someone that comes from a brochure only and you haven't been working with that person you haven't been generating Bible study interest, and you're just expecting a big-time speaker to come in and then do a, some kind of miracle, all right? It doesn't work that way. You can, you can expect that person, if they haven't made friends, to leave, okay? That will happen. And it's not evangelism fault. It's your fault because you didn't do enough pre-work with more people first. Now, for those people who come for the brochure, praise God. Don't expect them to stay unless you can get them connected as soon as possible. That's why I love table evangelism. While the evangelism is happening, there, people are sitting around tables. And you have members that are leading out and, and facilitating discussion for part of the evangelistic meeting. This is the way it should be done moving forward. 
All right, and this is the way that our, our um, evangelists are doing more and more these days. Okay, groups should be between 5 and 12 people in average attendance. If you have less than 5, it's just way too discouraging. And if you have more than 12, you, you're not having intimacy and you need to have somebody break off. Have the leader of that group go and start a group somewhere else and take maybe three more people. So if you have 15 people, you have a new leader. The assistant leader now becomes a leader. Train somebody else to be the assistant. Stay at the, the place where the first group was and then have the leader go out and start somewhere else, okay? People are not going to follow that leader. They're going to they're stay where, where they were comfortable used to going, okay? And it should not be another program. Discipleship ministry, discipleship group ministry should be the way the church is, okay? It was the way the early Christian church was. It was the way the early Seventh-day Adventist church was. I mean, it, it's good enough, right? And White was told the same thing. This is the way we need to work, Okay. Um, I was privileged to be the pastor of an awesome church in this conference, Albemarle. Maybe some are watching from Albemarle or somewhere here right now. They had, a, uh, at the time I was their pastor, about 54 people in attendance, and four discipleship team leaders were chosen. And each group leader and members looked after those within their own group. Okay? They were not looking after everybody. Everybody looked after everybody. Hey, hey look around. If you don't see somebody in church, give them a call, go give them a visit. No, no, that doesn't work, okay? That doesn't work. But if you have groups that say, okay, if somebody that is assigned to your group, say a missing member assigned to your group that you're not seeing in church, it's your job to get connected with them. Go visit them, get them to come to your group, get them to come to church, okay? It's really amazing, this bust the bystander effect, okay? All right, so before there was an average prayer meeting attendance of 12 at the church, that sounds probably what you're used to. Afterwards, total attendance between the four different groups was uh, three times that. And I noticed something awesome, pastors. For you pastors watching or who are here, it's something amazing, okay? Most of the visitation, I would say 75% of the visitation that would take place would be through my initiation before this. After this, it, it was like the lay people got on fire about visitation. Okay. All right, I'm going to finish up real quick. Um, okay. So I want to, I want to have, um, just say real quick, leadership within the group should be divided up. One person should not be leading out everything. You should divide the leadership up. Uh, one person leads out in prayer ministry, one, a different one in study ministry, and so on. Okay? All right, we have some more resources there. I'm going to finish off with this final thing here. All right, step number eight is follow through. It's the second most important step after step number one. Follow through. If you don't follow through, then it's, it's in vain. Make sure, don't do too much. Act your size as a church. Try to do a few ministries well rather than too many and not well at all. Okay? All right, I think we're going to close with prayer. Thank you for participating, and uh, I pray that God's blessing. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for being with us. You have a great work to do, not just with those churches that are growing and fledging, but we're also want to bring these churches to you within this conference and within those that are in other churches outside this conference. We want to bring those churches that have been plateaued or declining. We want to submit them to you, lay them at your throne. We have some hearts that have been heavy that want to see the church become on fire again. I pray that you would breathe life into these churches, Lord. I pray first that you would convict people of their need of prayer, that they would come to you in prayer and begin a new movement within their communities. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your shoes back on, yes, Brad. Yes, yes, yes.
Did you appreciate what he had to say today? Let's give him a hand. I was, uh, I was doing some church consulting work, uh, and I went to a church, Brad, and we were doing some vision and missioning, and we were talking about their strengths and what they prided themselves on, what they thought they really did well. And one of the things that they prided themselves on was uh, youth and young adults. They just, they were really into th- their ministries, and, and so as I listened to them, I, I just began to ask them some questions. I asked them, I said, how many of your how many uh, young people do you have 25 and under that are deacons and deaconesses? You know how many hands went up? None. How many that are under 25 are on your church board? None. How many elders do you have in the church that are under 30? None. How many people that have joined the church less than five years are in a church leadership position? None. The head elder raised his hand, and he said, Pastor... I see what you're doing here. (laughs) I said, really? He said, yes, we have some work to do. And and it's so important that we involve, if we're going to pride ourselves in our youth and young adults, then we need to engage them in ministry and empower them in leadership positions because we need to listen to them. Now, now you know what will happen when you do that? You're going to hear some stuff that's going to make you uncomfortable. That's okay. We need to be a little bit uncomfortable. Don't you say so? Because they'll bump us into areas that we will not walk unless we take the bump. And so all of us need to be bumped just a little bit. Thank you, Brad, for for your ministry. Now, he's just whet your appetite with that. He gave you probably, he gave you about a 16-hour seminar summarized and compressed into one hour there. But it's in his book. And he's available, I'm available, we can come to your church, there are others that are available, and we can help walk you through that process of church revitalization. Also, the handout for this is going to be on our website, along with the recording, it will be on video, Uh, you can watch that, and and all of our presenters, we've asked them to provide us with some resource material in a way of a handout, so you'll have all this in summary on the website, Um, and communication will be processing that when the weekend is over, so... We hope that you'll make yourself available. Just uh, a quick announcement here. I want to talk to you for one minute about Share Him. And Pastor Israel, has uh, he's our Share Him kind of coordinator. And uh, Pastor, what's on your heart? What would you like to have these folk know? Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Israel Mora. I'm the coordinator for Share Him. Uh, If you've never heard of Share Him, what is Share Him? Share Him is a ministry of the Carolina Conference that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel with other people. Uh, Bill, can you just stand up? I, I know I only got one minute. Uh, Bill Jones went with us to come up here, uh, Bill. It's only going to be real quick, Glenn, I promise. Uh, we want to share with you an, an awesome opportunity to go and share the gospel around the world. If you love to be uh, or ever thought of being a missionary, sorry, you, my time's up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who was the first missionary ever? Does everyone know who's the first missionary? Jesus. He left heaven and came with us. Now, people will usually tell me, Pastor, I can't preach. Bill, how would you answer that? Oh, let me tell you. If you, if you can talk and you can read, then you can preach. Because the, the Share Him program, they, the, the people there have everything provided for you. My wife went with me. to. We were in Costa Rica. This is going to be very quick. But she had never preached a sermon in her life. And she ended up preaching... What, 12, 12 sermons, t- two on each Sabbath? Yes. And uh, 
we have established relationships and friendships with people down in Costa Rica who uh, still contact us today. It's a wonderful experience. I can't say enough about it, but I know we don't have any time, so I'm going to turn it back over to you. So the rest of the time, I really want to motivate you. It's an awesome opportunity. We're going in March, um, I'm sorry, in May, May 2 to the 15, uh, to the Philippines. We're going to a very safe, wonderful place. If you'd like to go with us, I'm walking around. I've got the uh, Share Him uh, bulletins and information. Is there anybody here that would like to just know more about it? If you would like to raise your hand right now, raise your hand. Bill, help me out here. Um, Pat. Um, pass these out. Brad, pass these out. There's people with their hands up. This is, a, this is the moment to have the information. I'll be outside during the whole day today. Come up to me. Just talk to me. Even if you can't go this year, if you just want to know about it, uh, next year we'll be going to another Shareham trip. And we provide everything, transportation, lodging, air, airfare, at that one cost on that information. So, Glenn, thank you, thank you for this time. Thank I appreciate you. I it. I appreciate your ministry. It's a wonderful thing. We're going to take a short intermission now. Um, it was 15, it's down to about...